chapter 2. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. If you know anything about a church, we want you to know this. We believe in the sufficiency of God's word. Amen. It's God's word that is our authority. It's God's word that leads and directs us. And without it, we are lost. And so this is what we cling to. Now, if you have read enough scripture in your life, you know that God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Ways that just sometimes leave us amazed at what he's doing. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would not always do things the way God does. Uh, We would make things probably easier for ourselves than the way God allows things to happen sometimes. How many of you have, have had this thought, like, when you're walking to the mailbox, how many of you just wish, like, God, I wish you would just give me a letter in the mail today and we just lay out the next month. Could you just, like, write out a letter so I know what's going to happen over the next month? So that would really alleviate a lot of stress. Lord, I got this big meeting coming that I don't know what's about. <laughs> like, you ever find yourself doing that? Like, God doesn't always work. God doesn't work those ways. I have never received a letter. Um, and we can find ourselves questioning God, why, why he allows these things to happen. I, I've had things in my life happen where I'm like, God, what? I can't make sense of this. It uh, made me think of back in 2010, uh, I had quit my job here, moved our family to Illinois, became a uh, water restoration technician in Illinois. So moved our family away from family. So it was just my wife and we had two kids at the time. And that season when we were in Illinois was a really challenging time. Number one, we lived in Illinois. I mean, there's enough. I'm just kidding. If you, if you like Illinois, that's, I'm just messing around there. But we, we struggled financially. We, we were trying to find a house. We couldn't afford houses out there. The taxes were insane. Um, not only that, like, there, like we had trouble financially and we lost our family car, died. The, the engine just went out on us. And we were left just kind of hopeless. Like, what do we do here? Like, it was a hard season. And then I remember singing a hymn in church one Sunday morning. It was How Firm a Foundation. You know that one? And we sang this verse in there. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. And I remember that morning just weeping. Because all of these flashes of trials that God had allowed in our lives, I I saw how he was refining me. I saw how he was maturing me as a follower of Jesus Christ, stripping away the dross and refining me like gold. And I began to weep because God's ways are mysterious. God's ways are wondrous. And when it comes to his salvation, there's nothing more wondrous than that. And my prayer is that we would walk away in wonder of God's saving ways. We've seen it in the book of Acts before, and we're going to see it again. And so may God open our eyes to this. Before we dig into the word today, let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us on our own. Thank you for the reminder this morning of your amazing grace. Lord, you have saved us, and it should leave us in wonder. Lord, if If you have granted us faith and repentance, God, we should be amazed at your grace. And so I pray this morning that you would give me the gift of communication here, that I would communicate your truths in a way that would lead to life change for us. 
God, that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your word. God, that we would be in wonder at your saving ways and be amazed that you allow us to participate in that process. God, we need your help. We are hopeless without you, God, but we, our hope and our trust is that we're two or more gathered in your name. You are surely with us. And so, God, would you show up today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you see here, 16 through 40 are the verses that we're looking at. That's a lot. Usually I like to read through them all in one time, but we're going to break it down. Uh, just to make sure that we're not losing track of all that's going on here. So first of all, let's look at verse 16 in chapter 16 of Acts. Follow along as I read. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of div divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. <laughs> Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirits, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted some many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in, their stock, in the stocks. So here's the first thing that I want us to be aware of this morning. God calls us to love people, not what they have to offer. In other words... God calls us to look at people and love them because they're people, regardless of anything they may have to offer you. So this, this interaction that we see here is quite interesting. And in a way, it's kind of funny. So you have this slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Literally, the Greek translation means she had a python spirit. So there were many small g-gods, many little gods that the people of the time worshipped. And so they looked at this girl having this gift of fortune telling. They looked at it as a gift. They looked at it as she was special, that the gods had blessed her with this. And her owners were taking full advantage of her. And obviously she was good at what she did because she brought much money to her owners. So many people were coming to this girl to find out things about their lives. Now, also what this girl was doing, though, is day in and day out, uh, the spirit through the girl was pestering Paul and Silas and the disciples. And they kept saying, hey, they, they come in the name of Jesus. They, they come proclaiming the way of salvation. And it got to the point where Paul had enough. He was annoyed, it says. And so he spoke to the spirit. Paul obviously knew what was going on here. He wasn't annoyed at the girl. He was annoyed at the spirit. And he commands in Jesus' name that this spirit would leave her. And immediately... The spirit obeyed. Now, my first thought is why would, why would Paul want to stop this? I mean, why, 
why not let the proclamation of Jesus go forth? Like, who, who cares who's doing it? If, if they're drawing attention to Paul and Silas to preach the gospel, then why is Paul annoyed here? Wouldn't he just let it keep going? Well, I think we have to ask the question, is it right, is, is it godly to be possessed by a demon? Hopefully we'd all agree that no, that, that is not a good thing. What this woman was doing was against the ways of the Lord. And the last thing that Paul wanted to happen was for this girl to be synonymous with Jesus Christ. Nothing about what this girl was doing, what the spirit was doing through the girl, rather, had anything to do with the ways of God. And so Paul's like, she's not of us. This is not of us. The spirit that is speaking these things is not of us. And so be silent. That's why Paul cast this demon out. And what a beautiful thing, right? That set this girl free. Who knows how long she has been tormented by this demon. But the problem was not everybody was happy here. The owners found out what was taking place and now their hope for making any kind of money through her it was completely gone. And what we see here is a, drast, a drastic difference between unbelievers and believers in the book of Acts. Now, notice all throughout what we've talked about, remember uh, what happened, what was the correlation between material things and believers? Did the, did the believers hold on to their stuff? No, do you remember when they were bringing money to the apostles, they were selling property and bringing it to them in order to distribute to those who had need? They had the Hellenistic Jews who they were gathering money to help the Hellenistic widows uh, in their struggles. I mean, you see all throughout the book of Acts, the believers did not hold on to their stuff. They didn't hold on to their material possessions because they realized that it was all God's anyways. And they were just to be stewards of what God had given them. They didn't hold on to it. But the unbelievers, on the other hand, held on to everything that they had. In fact, they wanted to get more. And so when the threat of material possessions came into someone's life, they did whatever they could to make sure that didn't happen. And so they had Paul and Silas arrested and beaten by these rods and thrown into prison. I mean, this is rough stuff. The owners of this woman, this girl, didn't value the girl. They valued what the girl could offer them. That is not the way God views us. God does not view us based on what we have to offer. He doesn't choose people. He doesn't save people because, oh, they have potential. It's not like they looked at Ben Hurt and said, Ben, man, you are something else. You're amazing. I could really use your gifts on my team. And so, you know what, I'm going to save you. That's not how God works. Number one, none of us has anything to offer God. What do we have to offer that would be anything that God would need? God doesn't need anything from us. Rather, he chooses to use us. We have nothing to offer God. And so if God doesn't view us as what we can offer him, then how can we justify looking at people and choosing who we, choose, who we do relationship based on what they have to offer us? It's not the way God works. That's not the way we are called to work. God calls us to love people, not what they have to offer. Our, as Christians in our church, what's the mission of our church? What is it? 
glorify God by making disciples. Everything we do is for the glory of God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. If we desire to be faithful messengers of the gospel, it will be because we have this kind of view. We understand that God loved us. Romans 5 eight says that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is that saying? When you were still lost and dead, that's when I died for you. When you had nothing to offer, what does a dead thing have to offer us? Not much of anything. <laughs> we're useless. If we are dead, we are useless. And this is the wonder of God's salvation. God loves us not because of what we have to offer him. He loves us just because that's his character. He just, he loves us. I mean, think about a baby. We have some babies here in there, very cute. What do they, what do babies offer people? I mean, how do they benefit? What do they contribute to the family? There's, there's joy, but like, that's not the baby doing that. The baby's just making messes all the time. Throwing up all over the place. Got to do constant constant changing of clothes, and then you change the clothes, and they poop through everything. And this week I was reminded, uh, we, so we have five kids. Our youngest are twins. Uh, when the twins were like one or two years old, uh, it was a good Friday, and I got a frantic phone call from Nikki. So I used to be on staff at Gospel City in Granger. They are the ones who planted us as a church. And she was very frantic and just in tears, just bawling her eyes out, like, I need you to come help me, please. And so Go talk to the staff. Like, yeah, go serve your, your wife. And I, and I go home, and I walk into my twins' room, and I will never be the same after what I saw in that room. So what had happened is our, our boy twin had pooped during his nap, and he woke up, and he decided that he was a painter. And so, you know, we have the cribs where it's got the spindles all the way around. Painted all the spindles. Had some nice murals on the wall. Not only that, he, he got out of his bed and all over our brand new laid carpet. Just rubbed it everywhere. <laughs> I mean, isn't that a picture of what we are before, without Christ? I mean, that's what we are. Like, but yet, there is so much joy in the baby. I didn't, I didn't wake up the next morning looking at this child and so angry at it. I still loved him. That's how God views us. Do, do you know something? You want to know something? I, I firmly believe this strongly. God does not get annoyed with us. How many of you got annoyed at somebody this week? Don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> how many of you got annoyed at yourself this week? God doesn't get annoyed with us. He is gracious and merciful. And too often we look at people and we choose to stay in relationship with others because we feel like they have something to offer. But what we can find ourselves doing is that once there's no longer any benefits to this friendship, we move on. Why do you think marriage, marriages are, are ruined 50% of the time? Some of you have faced that. You've been on the other, the receiving end of somebody who just said, I'm not getting much out of this anymore. This is too hard. I'm out. It's not the way God. He loves us not because of what we have to offer. He loves us, period. And that's the way we are called. The owners only cared what this woman could offer, didn't care anything about her. As believers in Jesus, 
God calls us to love people, not what they have to offer us. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, and he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Here's what the next thing I want you to understand when we look at this text. God has delivered us so that we can deliver the good news. God has saved us from our sins, not so that we can go off and do whatever we want to. God saves us so that we can be deliverers of the very good news that he opened our eyes to. We see here in the text here, Paul and Silas are locked up in prison. They've been thrown into prison for something that they were not guilty of. They Notice, like, the, the charges that they brought up had nothing to do with causing these, these people to lose their source of income. They're stirring up trouble because they're mad at the fact that their possessions are shrinking because of what the apostles did. And so they throw out these accusations. They're thrown in prison. I mean, what a raw deal. They freed this woman from this being possessed by this demon. They freed her. She was free for the first time in who knows how long. Shouldn't this be something that they were rejoicing? And not only were the people not rejoicing, but they found themselves in prison for it. i got to be honest with you. When I get blamed for something that I am innocent of, I'm usually looking for, for justice. And usually what I'm doing is I'm looking like, who are the people who get the rowdiest when injustice is made known? I'm going to get them on my side, and we're going to get a pitchfork, and we're going to go take care of this ourselves. That's, that's my tendency to want to do. Like, there has to be justice. This is not allowed to have. This is not allowed to happen. But is that what we see Paul and Silas doing here in Acts? Rather than complaining about not belonging there, they are praying. And they are singing hymns to God. They were worshiping. Their eyes were turned not inward but upward. Trials came their way and their reaction was to turn to Christ. Do you know that every single person on the face of the planet goes through trials and tribulation? Everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. Sometimes we think, oh, things have gotten worse since I'm a believer. Well, you, you, you put a target on your back. That's kind of the reason why. But suffering is for everybody. Everybody suffers because we live in a broken world. Perhaps even now you find yourself in a place of suffering for any number of reasons, for 
perhaps your job, perhaps broken relationships. Maybe there's this, a, an appointment, a doctor's appointment that you don't know what's going on, but you're, you're thinking the worst and it's caused so much anxiety within you. Let me ask you this. Have you turned to your father? I'm amazed, even in my own life, at how often I find myself struggling and wrestling through trials and tribulations. And I find myself spinning out of control with anxiety and suffering with despair and depression. And then I get asked, have you prayed about it? And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I haven't prayed at all. Perhaps you find yourself there this morning as you're like, yes, why? What keeps me from turning to the Lord? This is exactly what they did in the midst of being in prison. They turned to prayer. I'm going to give us an opportunity now. Let me encourage you for the next minute or so. If there's just some particular suffering that you are going through, whatever it is. Maybe it's a sin issue that you just can't get past. Maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's health issue. Maybe it's a family member who's struggling. And, and you just... You're suffering from it. Let, let me encourage you now to go to your father. And by God's grace, maybe you find yourself not in that place. If that's you, things are going well. Let me encourage you to think of those who you know who are suffering and go to the father. So often time goes by and we are struggling and we never turn to the father. And so let's just do that now quietly at your seats. Spend a minute or two taking our cares before the Lord because he cares for you. Let's do that now. Lord, your word says in Hebrews 4, for those of us who have repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence to find mercy and grace and help in our time of need. Lord, it doesn't say we have to cower if we've messed up. God, if we are in Christ, no matter our condition, if we have repented truly of our sin and truly placed our faith. God, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. And so we can become, come to your throne boldly. And so I pray, Lord, I pray for those here. If, if they have found themselves, if they, if they continually find themselves in a mess, Lord, that they would run to you. That they would know based on your word, Lord, your word says it. And so our feelings so often get in the way. God, remind us we can run and approach the throne of grace with confidence, your word says. God, I thank you for that. And I thank you, Father, that even if our lives get worse and worse, we know that eternity is coming. And in this world, we will have trouble, but you've overcome the world, and we have an eternity with you. And so, if anything, Lord, remind us of the hope that we have in our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me encourage you this week, if, if you find yourself in that place, don't forget, you can go to your father who loves you. And remember, he doesn't get annoyed. He's not like, gosh, you're coming to me three days in a row with this? Can't you just let it go? God doesn't view us that way. 
If you think that's true, please come show me in Scripture. That's not funny. (laughs) We can go to our Father who loves us deeply. Not only did they pray, what else did they do? They sang. This is just so amazing to me. Here they are shackled to the wall for simply loving this poor demon-possessed girl. They were wrongfully charged without any kind of trial. There's lots of injustice here. They, they weren't condemned by the government. There were people who just didn't like what they were saying. And so they, they were uncondemned, convicted criminals, but they weren't really convicted because they didn't do the right things. And, and so I'm like looking for justice. I'm like screaming for this is wrong. I'm demanding my rights. And yet here Paul and Silas, they're singing. I mean, what a great way that we can fight against our discouragement. You know, sadly, I have heard people who say, I I just wait till the worship's done, then I come in because I want to hear the preaching. As if singing doesn't matter. We see all throughout scripture that singing matters. And here's the good news for some of you. The Bible says, doesn't say make a beautiful noise to the Lord. (laughs) It says make a joyful noise. It's from a heart that's joyful in the Lord. That's all we need. And so please sing away. I, I don't care if people sing behind me and they can't carry a tune in a bucket. I, I care more about your heart and where you're coming from. But like this is an opportunity for us when we find discouragement. God has given us music because it's easier to remember too, isn't it? It's easy to remember songs. We can remember songs from 20 years ago. I could, I could start singing certain songs and some of you could pick it up and you haven't sang that for 20 years. <laughs> That's the amazing thing about music, but I think that's why God gave us music to sing. And so when you are in a place where you feel like you're in prison for whatever reason, remember that we can sing to the Lord. And I I think about, you know, what did they sing? Perhaps they sang a, a song like this, and I would invite you, please, to sing along with me. Sing this with me. Maybe this is something that they sang. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, My sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. You see that? You see the beauty of that? You ever find yourself tempted to live in your sin? To be dwelling on it and questioning yourself, how could I call myself a Christian and do this? When Satan tempts us to despair and reminds us of our guilt within, where do we go? Upward I look to Christ who paid for that. He paid the price for all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, our sinful souls are counted free. Brothers and sisters, if you're beating yourself up over your sin, stop it. In Jesus' name. Yes, There is conviction and there is sorrow over our sin, but we also can't forget Good Friday. Jesus paid for it and he defeated it by rising from the grave. We don't have to carry around the guilt and shame anymore 
As we talked about at Easter, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Perhaps they sang a song like that. Maybe they sang a song like this. Sing it with, sing this one with me. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Perhaps they were singing that, reminding themselves, hey, even when we are good, even in the scriptures, we see that Paul learned the secret of contentment, of having much and having little. Lord, there are times where things are overflowing and there are times when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever, my lot, you've taught me to say that it is well, not because our circumstances are well, Lord. It is well because we are, in, we are secure in your hands. We need to be reminded of this and when God stirs in us, when we are reminding of our ourselves of God's truth, we might find ourselves singing this, and perhaps they'd sing this. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art! How great thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Here's what happens. Here's why Paul understood the, the necessity to pray and to sing is what happens when we do that. Our focus gets off of our circumstances and we find ourselves just saying, God, you are so good. Even in this world is garbage, you are good. And so my soul sings not based on my circumstances. My soul sings based on what I am putting my hope in or who I am putting my hope in. And if all we do is stare at our circumstances, woe is me and my life is so horrible and I, you don't know, understand what I am. And all I want you to understand is how broken and messed up and how bad things are. And I want you to feel sorry for us when God calls us. Then like, no. Yes, Share your burdens with others, but then have your heart turn to the beauty of who God is. That's what Paul and Silas were doing. They knew they couldn't just focus on their circumstances. Otherwise, they would spiral out of control. Isn't that what happens? How many of you, your life just goes so well when you spend time worrying? Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to worry this week because life just goes so well. So if I just spend time worrying and thinking and stewing about this, things are going to get better. And yet week in and week out, we can find ourselves forgetting the fact that our Father is there, willing to listen, wants to carry our burdens. But he's calling us to turn our focus to him, even if our life circumstances never change. 
So they turned their focus from being something that was horizontal to vertical. They turned their attention to their loving Savior. Then notice what happens. An earthquake shakes the foundation of the prison and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. This, of course, awakens the sleeping jailer and his first realization is that the prison doors are open. And so he assumes the prisoners are gone. And if the prisoners are gone while he is the one on duty, he will surely die and pay for that. So he grabs his sword and he's ready to plunge it in so that he takes his life. No one takes it from him. And before he's able to do that, Paul cries out to them, don't do it. Stop. We're all still here with you. I mean, think about this. They had the chance to escape. Their shackles fell off them. They were free to go. I mean, does the jailer have any chance, one sword versus all these jailers, these thugs. I mean, you don't, Paul and Silas weren't thugs, but you got to believe that we see here, when the prisoners are listening in, they're observing what's going on. The jailer has even observed some of what was going on before he fell to sleep. I mean, this, like, they could have just left the prisoners could have escaped. I mean, I don't know about you, but if, if this happens to me, you got to believe I'm, my first reaction is going to be, I'm out. Like, look what God's done. He saved me. I'm out of here. But here's what we have to understand. And here is what Paul understood. God delivered him so that he could deliver the good news. God doesn't deliver us from our prisons so that we can go live happily ever after. He doesn't save us and deliver us so that we can feel better about our jobs. He doesn't deliver and save us so that we can have peace and go about our merry way and enjoy our life. Now, do those things come with salvation? Absolutely. We experience those things. But God has delivered us so that we can now become the deliverers of the good news of which God opened our eyes to. He has called us to have an eternal mindset. This really takes us back to the key verse of all of Acts. Do you remember 1 8, Acts 1 8, what it says? Like Jesus says, You're going to receive my Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and where? To the end of the earth. Do you realize we are participating in that great commission even today? We are all called, not just the missionaries, not just those who are gifted in evangelism, we are called to be witnesses of His. It doesn't mean we got to go knocking on every door and throwing out some tracts and preaching the gospel and calling people to repentance in a formal way like that. But we are called to love our brothers and sisters and make a difference. God has delivered us so that we can be deliverers of good news. And so Paul knew what he was called to do. And so the jailer, who knows what he has heard up to this point because he's asleep but he had to have noticed what was going on. He had to have noticed something different. I mean, when you think of prisoners in jail, do you think of like calm, peaceful, taking it easy, just following all the rules, making it easy for all the, probably not. But Paul and Silas were different because they, reflecting the character of who God was. And so the jailer throws himself at the mercy of these people saying, what must I do to, be, to have faith? What must I do to be saved? And if you've been in church a long time, you've probably memorized this verse, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so they respond 
he and many of his household respond in repentance. What an amazing thing. First of all, even the compassion of the jailer, he, he cleans their wounds up. He feeds them a meal. And then notice, what's the first thing he does after all of this? How does he respond to his new salvation? He's baptized. This week I had somebody in our church uh, just uh, respond to me about some things that I've said about baptism. And it was, it really brought conviction to think, and do I really, did I portray baptism as something that I think is very serious? Because I think, I think it is serious. Now you have heard me say that stepping into the waters, we were supposed to have baptism today, by the way, but we had a leak that showed up and <laughs> didn't want to get the whole sanctuary flooded. And, and I, I've mentioned before that it's not being baptized that saves us. We don't get into the water and, and, and this doesn't save us by being baptized. We don't just dunk and then all of a sudden you're magically saved. That's not how salvation works. However, you see all throughout Scripture, even all throughout Acts, is baptism a main thing that you see once people are saved? Every time people are saved. Here, here's the thing about what baptism is. Baptism is a symbol of what God has done internally. It is a symbol to say that I understand, I appeal to God. I am desperate without hope, and so I surrender. I am dead, to Christ, dead in Christ. We, when we baptize, we say buried in the, in the likeness of, of Christ's death, raised to walk in newness of life. It's a, it's a symbolic a picture of what has taken place in our hearts. We've surrendered everything to the Lord, and we are raised to walk in newness of life. It's not the water that saves us, but it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the baptism of God's grace. It's the baptism of his blood that covers our sin that makes us saved. And so because of that, God calls us to respond in obedience by being baptized. Every believer should be baptized. It's clear. There's one exception of a person that we know of who was not baptized. Who is that? Do you know? Anybody know? Remember the thief on the cross? Remember they're mocking Jesus on the cross, but then one realizes, I've messed up. This is the Savior. And he says to him, like, Father, remember me when you get to your home, like, when you remember me. And then what did Jesus say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> Obviously there wasn't a chance for him to be baptized. That's the one exception. Anybody, and I don't see any of you hanging on a cross. So this brings us to ask the question, as a believer in Christ, have you been baptized? This is an act of obedience. And I know some people, one reason they said is they're afraid. Like they're afraid to be baptized. Darcy, was it, was it fun? Like you just can't wait to be in front of everybody, right? Like nobody has this excitement, but yet Darcy was willing to do it because she, she wanted to walk in obedience. If we're afraid to go before people, now hear me, I, I understand anxiety. I don't, if you're afraid to do that, there's nothing wrong with you. That's normal for a lot of people. But if we're ashamed or we're afraid to go and proclaim the testimony of God's word, be careful because God's word says if we, if that is us, then we're not worthy of the kingdom. And if that is you, please, let's have a conversation. If I'm honest, one of my favorite things to do is baptisms. I mean, here's the thing. The reality is when we fill that thing up, it might be dirtier than your bathtub at home. It's not about that. It's about what you are expressing, saying that I belong to Christ. He has rescued me from my sins. 
And we get to hear the testimony of those who have stepped out of darkness into the light. Those who were dead in the trespasses of their sins who God has brought to life. That's why we baptize. Because we get to celebrate this amazing thing. And so if you haven't been baptized yet, come talk to me. I'd love to walk you through that. Uh, what we do is we hear your testimony because we want to make sure you understand your salvation. Because that matters. A lot of people, I want to be baptized because they think, they think somehow it's what they need to do to be saved. Or they have some kind of messed up thing. But some cases, people don't really fully understand your salvation. Now there's no shame in you coming forward to ask those kind of questions. That's what we're here for, to help you. But we are all called as believers to be baptized. So I wanted to hit on that. That is not so much to do with what we've been talking about, but still a major part of our faith. So going back to the text, let's be reminded of the fact God has delivered us so that we can deliver the good news. For our last point, let's look at verse 35 there in your text. It says this. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let's let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come to themselves and take us out. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Here's the last thing that we'll go through real quick. Gospel witness flourishes when the church has a good reputation. Gospel witness flourishes when the church has a good reputation. So this is... Quite a confusing text. Uh, why, why is Paul defending himself here? I, well, I mean, if somebody sets me free, like I've already said, I'm just going to go. I'd be happy to go. Wouldn't you be happy to go? Like, hey, you're free to go. I don't care what the circumstances are. I don't care if I'm wrongly in prison. If they're freely letting me go, I'm out. But Paul says, oh, no, no, no. This is not how you're going to do this. You threw us in, you beat us with rods. You threw us in prison. We were uncondemned. The reason why he says he was uncondemned, because there was no trial. Before they would have, before they should have even laid a rod on, on them, they should have had a trial to determine whether or not they were condemned. And so who knows why they're even letting, I don't even know why they're letting them out of the prison here. I'm just thinking they're like, man, I don't want the name of Jesus to go flourishing in our place. And so let's beat them, let's threaten them, and I'm sure they'll be done and they'll be off our backs. And, and, and here's the thing, like we have the privilege of living in America where we have freedoms. Praise God for those in the political system who have stood up for our religious freedoms. And so as we are able to, we have the opportunity to go to our government when, when we want to see the things of God flourish. We can't force God on people, but rather we can stand up for our freedoms. And, and here's, what, here's what Paul's wanting to do here. This church is a new church that's being planted in Philippi. You've heard of the book of Philippians? So this is the beginning of that church. And so what he wants to be careful of is to make sure that the people who are observing what's taking on. Like, so here's what the people have said about Paul and Silas. They said they're stirring up trouble. They said they're causing a lot of issues. 
well, this is going to reflect on the church that's going to be left behind when Paul leaves Philippi. And so he's wanting to protect the good reputation of the church because otherwise this church could be in for a big problem. And so Paul's like, no, here's what you need to do. You need to understand we are Roman citizens. The way you are treating us is wrong and you're not going to do this. And you are going to come and set us free so that the people understand what you did was wrong. That's exactly what happened. Gospel witness flourishes when the church has a good reputation. So my prayer for our church, not that we have this overthrow of the government per se, but I want us as gospel community church to have a good reputation. I want us to be making a difference in our community. I pray that we get to the point where if, if you were to theoretically pull gospel community out of, our, uh, out of here, that somehow the community would suffer because of the impact that we are having for, for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. But not only as a church, my prayer is that for you. And it leads us to ask the question, when it comes to my coworkers, when it comes to those who live in my own house, when it comes to those who live in our neighborhoods, do you have a good reputation? Not a perfect reputation, but do you have a good reputation? You see, sometimes we think that we, and, and sadly, we live in this cancel culture, right? Everybody understands that. You do something wrong, and whether it was 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago, we're, we're getting rid of you, right? Like, that's where we're at today. It's pathetic because that's not how Jesus treats us. Um, so good reputation is not about always getting it right. It's about when we get it wrong that we deal with it. So shamefully, um, yesterday, my son comes to me, my six-year-old boy, the same one who wiped poop everywhere, you know that one. <laughs> um, and he had broken a, like a, a book light, you know how you clip in your book and it puts a light on there. And he had busted it, and he brought it to me. And I was already kind of irritated that morning for some other things, and we were in a hurry to get ready to go. And you know how, like, just, like all these different things just keep adding on. And so, sadly, I, I snapped at him, and I was angry. And, don't, I mean, sometimes, I just, like, we have five kids. I get sick of, like, things breaking all the time, and uh, I can hold on to my possessions. And so I just snapped at him, and I yelled at him, and I told him to get back in your room, and I was just mad. And then... Not 30 seconds later, just the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I felt this, this shame. I mean, here you have this six-year-old who's bringing something that he broke, right when he broke it, confessing to dad, who's supposed to love, nourish, and cherish, and care for him. And I'm busting his chops for doing something that he was an accident. I mean, how often do you have a six-year-old who brings something broken to you, right when it's broken? I mean... You ever have times where you're pulling back the dresser or looking under the bed and something that was missing for six months you found broken there? <laughs> That's usually what happens. And I had just completely missed that and instead snapped at my son. And so immediately I called him into our room. He crawls his way in, crying, thinking this is when dad's going to spank him. And I just take him in my arms. I'm like, dad, bud, I'm sorry. Dad was wrong. You didn't deserve that. Thank you. You came to me when you broke it. It was an accident. And you brought it to me. That was so good. Not perfect. But Lord willing, I'm having a good reputation with my son who knows that I don't get it all right. But when I don't get it right, I come to him and I repent of that. Isn't that what the world needs? The world doesn't need perfect people. They don't exist. 
The world needs broken people who have a good reputation who when they screw up, and you will, we go and we make it right. We go and repent. That's the gospel. Do you have a good reputation? Our mission as a church is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so in that, we are called to love people, period. Not to consider people based on what they can offer, but we just love people, period, because Jesus loved us when we had nothing to offer him. And don't forget, he delivered us from bondage so that we could deliver the good news to those who desperately need to see it. Desperately need to hear it. And the gospel will flourish where the people have a good reputation. Where the church is living the way they are called to live. Not perfectly, but humbly. That's my prayer for us, that we would be amazed. I mean, just, just look at how God used a tragic, hard situation of imprisoning Paul and Silas. They were beaten with rods. And yet it was through this, Paul and Silas kept their focus vertical. And then God opened the hearts of the jailer and his family to come to Christ. May we be amazed at God's wondrous works. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you that for the way that you save us, for the way that you save this jailer, Lord, for, for how you use hard circumstances in our lives to point us to you. And Father, we, we acknowledge that we desperately need your help this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of how amazing your grace is. And also, Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts, stir in us, and call us to be workers in the harvest, Lord. That you would remind us that we are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord. We desperately need you. And I thank you that you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we close, let me leave you with uh, a few action steps here. Number one, I encourage you to further think through these things. Memorize Matthew 9, 37 and 38. It says this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There are people dying for good news. Let's be people who pray for laborers and may God send us. Pray that we would be faithful in our spheres of influence. You are the only, you might be the only Jesus that some people ever see in your spheres of influence. Second thing there, read 2 Corinthians 1. I love this passage because, you know, we can, we can look at people of the Bible. We can look at guys like Paul and think, man, he, was, he just thrived. Even in hard circumstances, he just was always nailing it. But the reality is that wasn't the case. In 2 Corinthians 1, what we read is we read of a man, Paul, who despised, who despaired his life. He, just, he wanted to die. He no longer wanted to live because of everything that he'd gone through. But the reason why God allowed him to do that is so that he would learn not to rely on himself, but on God who raises the dead. In the beginning of the chapter, it talks about how we, we, are, we struggle, we experience trials, but then in those trials, we, we are comforted. And the reason why we go through those things is so that we can comfort those who are in the same affliction in which we expect, we face. 
And so let that be an encouragement to you, just reminding us, like, we are not saved so that we can have a happy life over here in the corner. God rescues us so that we can be deliverers of the good news around us. Third thing there, love people, period. Love people. We, we are a messy people. I want to look to somebody next to you and say, I'm a mess. You want to say somebody next to you, I'm a mess. If you know by nobody, you can tell yourself you're a mess. <laughs> we're all a mess. And so we're unlovable at times. And so we're not called to just put people around us who make us feel comfortable. As a church, if all we long for is that let's have safe kids space. Now, when I say safe, I, I, I strive to protect our kids from people who should not be in there. So don't hear that. But if we're just not wanting kids in here who are misbehaving, then what we are saying is that this is just for good people who have it all together. And then we've eliminated everybody in the room. We need to learn to love people, period. Not just looking at them as a commodity of what they can offer us. And then the last thing there, we were delivered to deliver. We were delivered from our sins so that we could deliver the good news. Let me invite you to stand and I uh, just want to read this scripture over us as we leave. Gospel Community Church, let me remind you, Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, not for you to be worshipped, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We live here for the glory of another. Let me remind you, as we head out those doors, we head into a mission field of people who desperately need to hear the good news. And may we be the salt and the light for those who hear it. Love you guys. So glad that you're here. Have a great weekend.